It's Tuesday, July 28th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by our tri beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, no baseball last night. Uh, Monday night, the Indians and White Sox washed out. They called the game early. Uh, part of the reason why they called the game early was they didn't want the, the players sitting around in close quarters because uh, that's how the, the coronavirus gets spread is, is when you're, you've got a big group of guys sitting around in a clubhouse hanging out together. So one of the reasons why they sent everybody home was, you know, hey, we, we want to try to prevent the spread of this disease. Yeah, I thought it was because they didn't want that big crowd coming down and, uh, you know, <laughs> and having to turn, turn that big crowd away. But, no, that, that's a good point. They, they don't want guys sitting around. And uh, it's interesting, though, because I thought they didn't schedule doubleheaders because of that, this very fact. And that's what they're playing uh, Tuesday to make this game Right. The, uh, the game now rescheduled as a traditional doubleheader beginning at 3.30 p.m. on uh, Tuesday afternoon, followed about 45 minutes later by game two. Uh, Aaron Savali and uh, Dylan Cease will pitch the first game for the Indians and White Sox. And in a bit of a surprise move, uh, Adam Plutko will pitch the nightcap for the Indians and Carlos Rodon will stay on and go for the the White Sox, uh, putting Plutko in and bumping Zach Plesak back to the series finale, which would ostensibly be on Wednesday, uh, means that the Indians have a, a, an added benefit there as well in lining up their starters. Yeah, uh, for, you know, after Wednesday uh, game against the White Sox, they start their first uh, trip of the season, a six-gamer with four uh, in, at Target Field against the Twins. So, you know, uh, Beaver was initially supposed to start Wednesday if they had, if without this rain out. But now he'll be able to start Thursday against the Twins, and they'll be able to follow him up with Clevenger and Carrasco and, and Savali. So, you know, they've got their four best guys uh, going against, you know, a really a powerful uh, Twins lineup and the team they have to beat to win the AL Central. Yeah, for through the first three games of the season, the uh... – the Indians and Twins had identical two and one records, but the Twins had a plus ten uh, run differential uh, against their opponents. The Indians only a plus eight. Uh, it, it does line up Bieber and uh, Clevenger and Carrasco to to face you. You got your three best guys going against that Twins lineup. It also has the unintended effect, or or intended maybe. I, I'm sure uh, Mike Clevenger is very happy about this. If everybody stays on schedule and everybody pitches on the days they're supposed to over the next uh, week and a half, August 5th, we get to see the matchup we've all been waiting for, Mike Clevenger versus Trevor Bauer at Progressive Field. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, those two guys, you know, became good friends uh, as teammates with the Indians, and they've been, uh, they've been known to needle each other. So this could be a very, very interesting uh, matchup if everything stays on course here. Most most recently, the two of them went back and forth uh, after the Indians' first loss on Saturday night when uh, Mike Clevenger came out publicly and, and sort of complained about the new automatic runner rule that it really cost the Indians a, a chance at winning that game. Uh, and then Trevor Bauer right back at him on Twitter, uh, making fun of uh, sort of, well, just making fun of Mike Clevenger and the two of them going back and forth, I guess, uh, uh, what you would expect from Clev and, and, and Trevor Bauer. But, yeah, the 
anticipation is uh, is heavy for that <laughs> that reunion, uh, let's say, and that would be when Cincinnati comes to town for the second two games of a home and home series on the end of that uh, that six game road trip. So yeah, a lot going on, and and we haven't even gotten to the big news of the day, which is the uh, the word out of Miami that for uh, as many as fourteen players, I. The numbers are still uh, sketchy yeah, on it, it's, but it's it's as many as 14 uh, players and staff, uh, however you want to parse it out there, uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. It's clearly an outbreak within that clubhouse, and the Marlins had their game against Philadelphia or uh, uh, Baltimore. The Marlins, Baltimore, their home Marlins were going to play Baltimore at their home opener. That was uh, postponed. And as was the Yankees and Phillies game, uh, because the Yankees didn't want to play the Phillies or go into the clubhouse after the Marlins had just left. Yeah, just, uh, you know, really it shows you how fragile this whole 60-game sprint is, Joe. Um, You know, the Marlins supposedly said they were, they, you know, really had, had thought they had followed protocols at home. They go on the road for the first time and, and all heck breaks loose. Uh, I think, what, as many as 12 players, two staff members, um, and they played the game Sunday. And when I think when they knew a lot of these tests were pending and they went ahead and played the game, they beat the, the Phillies. But uh, I don't know if that was the best uh, course of action there. I think, uh, you know, the cooler heads may have said, may have, uh, you know, said no mas right there and maybe try to stop this thing because you expose the Phillies to it. You know, I think probably at the height of when a lot of guys were, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, they, they, I mean, they, they really, uh, they, they had this. They were infected and maybe able to spread it. Right. That, like you said, cooler heads might have prevailed, but I think at, at this point, with with so many unknowns, I, I, why would you push this and why would you go ahead and play that game when you didn't have to? They didn't have to play that game yesterday. Right. I, I, and exactly. So that and now you're and now by doing that now you can't play games uh possibly for, right. for the next several days and uh, Rob Manford was was on TV he was on MLB network uh Monday evening he he said yes there is a critical a critical mass number there's a if if a number of teams a number of players get wiped out by this virus then uh you know there there is a point where major league baseball recognizes that it might have to shut things down uh, and if that means killing the whole season or just suspending play for a, a few weeks, uh, who knows wh- what that could be. But uh, again, it's a very cautionary tale. And Terry Francona was asked about it uh, in his, his pregame availability on Monday. And, and this is what Terry Francona had to say about using this as a cautionary tale to, to sort of tell his players before they, go, before they head out on the road, hey, this is still something you have to be very much aware of. Um, well, we're actually, because it's raining out there on and off, we've, we're, we're having batting practice indoors. We're having the guys go upstairs to the, where we are allowed to meet and let the training staff and medical staff talk to them again and just go over some, some reminders, but also because our first road trip's coming up in a couple of days, talk about some of those protocols. And, and again, they're mostly reminders or refreshers, but because of what has happened, what could happen, 
I don't think it ever hurts to, to drive home the point again. You know, you, we get caught up in trying to who we're playing and seeing if we can beat them. But in the end, at kind of at the end of the day, we're all one, you know, I mean, we're one industry and, and everybody pretty much knows everybody else. And you don't ever wish stuff like that on anybody. Um, I think it's a stark reminder of the times we're in and, you know, how quickly it can can go from person to person. Yeah, we may not even carry a taxi squad. Some of it's going to depend on maybe where we are, how our team looks. I mean, we have 30 on there now. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, you're looking now 33 and we're traveling for the first time. So there's some thought that we may just take a catcher and nobody else just because the, the room's going to get pretty crowded, but those are conversations we continue to have. Etino, there were some fairly significant injuries to pitchers around baseball yesterday. Corey for being one of them. I'm sure you probably are aware of that. Is, uh, first of all, can you just comment on Corey? I mean, it's got to be tough to even even hear that. I know he was close to all you. Yeah, I reached out to him or I texted with him about an hour ago. Just, you know, just, just telling him I was thinking about him. That's a tough. I mean, he's really run into some tough luck. You know, he was coming back last year and the you know, bleed got in the way. And now he's an inning into, you know, you feel, I don't care who they're with or, if they're not with you anymore, whatever the circumstances, you certainly feel for for that. I mean, it's that it doesn't make anybody feel good. I guess it's just a good reminder of why you need to be cautious this time of year, right? With guys ramping back up and just watching every pitch, right? Yeah, you know, for the for the couple phone calls I got over the weekend that were irate fans that wanted to know why Bieber didn't finish the game. And I would say that maybe we're trying to use good judgment. You know, I'm, I would go on a limb and say nobody wants to win more than, I mean, I get here early and I stay late, um, but we have an obligation to try to take care of our guys and win. So we try to do that. All right. So that was Terry Francona uh, talking about this. And this was before we found out that Rick Renteria, the, the Chicago White Sox manager, uh, had, had woken up on uh, Monday morning with uh, a cough and a, a stuffy nose, and they're isolating him, and he went for a, an, an extra round of coronavirus testing as well. Yeah, and he could uh, miss the whole series, Joe. He was, he was not going to manage Monday night. He was confined to the team hotel. And, uh, you know, if it takes 48 hours, two negative tests in 48 hours – he could miss uh, uh, today's uh, Tuesday's doubleheader and maybe uh, Wednesday's finale. Uh, Joe McEwing, the uh, bench coach, is managing in the, in uh, Renteria's absence. Well, and you know, really, it's it's got to be disappointing and frustrating for the the White Sox just not knowing, you know, when or if he'll be back anytime soon. But this was sort of the first test the Indians were going to get uh, against this newly revamped White Sox lineup. Uh, they had they had worked in the offseason bringing in all these veterans and and everything was was going to be set up for them to to, to sort of attack this 60 game schedule and and try and sort of leapfrog the Indians uh, and, and challenge the the twins for uh, the division actually yeah I still think it's it's a loaded lineup Joe Encarnacion 
you've got Abreu, you've got, uh, um, you know, Mancada, uh, Eloy Jimenez, but he ran into the fence Sunday in, um, in uh, Chicago. He, so we don't know. He was, he was originally in the lineup Monday night. So. Oh, okay. So he's healthy. Uh, you know, Yasmani Grandel. Uh, so, you know, they brought in a, a ton of people and uh, an, an improved lineup. Uh, their pitching is still a little shaky. Giolito's gotten off to, you know, bad start. Uh, we don't know about Cease. And uh, Rodon is, you know, coming off Tommy John. So we'll have to – but he's always pitched well against the Indians. So I, I'm really yeah. anxious to see how he pitches. But the name that you didn't mention, they're, uh, they're all everything, uh, all world rookie, the, the center fielder, Luis Robert, who's a highly rated prospect who – uh, open the season with the ball club. Uh, he got a he got a, a big contract extension before he even played a major league game, and and now he's come out and he's hit a couple of home runs in his first three games, and and looks to be uh, every bit as as advertised uh, for the the White Sox lineup. Kind of excited to to see what Luis Robert can do uh, against the Indians here at, uh, in Cleveland at Progressive Field if they get if if they get out on the field. Yeah, definitely. He's a uh, really a an interest, uh, you know, an electric talent. What he went thirty thirty in the in the minors mm-hmm. last year. Uh, you know, not too many people do that. <laughs> I mean, they they're not in the minors long enough to do that. So that tells you, uh, you know, that the talent he has, and just another guy like Moncada and and Elo Jimenez. I mean, they keep uh, finding them and uh, trading for them, developing them, and they've got they've got a heck of a core of young young uh, uh, position players. Yeah, they do. All right. Uh, so we talked about the, the, the positive tests for the Marlins. Uh, I really want to put into perspective what this could mean for the league moving forward. Uh, you know, what happens now if, if, if 24 to 48 hours from now we find out that this thing is spread beyond just the Marlins uh, locker room? Well, Joe, I think, you know, the, the season or at least, you know, uh, they're going to have to stop. You know, they're going to have to stop to play uh, – I would think, uh, and uh, just uh, kind of reconvene and and uh, see where exactly where they stand. You know, I would think there's there's kind of a protocol. They'd have to have a, a plan B, C, or D in this situation to see. They had to anticipate something like this happening. And so, what what's the next move? Do they shut it down for a week, then try to come back, or uh, you know? And I guess uh, you know if enough teams can't play I mean maybe maybe it is they stick a fork in the whole season uh one thing that you can't anticipate uh necessarily injuries and the uh some some pretty big name pitchers around the league in this first week uh, as as we thought might be the case with the rapid return and trying to get these guys ramped up uh there were injuries suffered by uh quite a bit of or quite a few uh you know, headlining guys, uh, starting with a pitcher a lot of Indians fans are familiar with in Corey Kluber. Uh, the Rangers announced on Monday that Kluber has a grade two tear of the terrace major muscle in his right uh, back, his shoulder. Uh, that was the same uh, similar injury that uh, Mike Clevenger suffered last season, cost him about six weeks. Uh, it wasn't as bad as what they're, t- were, they're describing with Kluber. They're saying four to six weeks for Kluber, but, uh, you know, if that's the case, then that puts him, uh, you know, not eligible to pitch 
anytime before the end of the season. Well, you know, that's a trade that's hurt both teams so far, Joe. You don't, you don't usually like to operate that way. But, you know, we've got Delino DeShields on the, on the IL with the virus in Cleveland and Emmanuel Class A, the other player the Indians received for uh, Kluber, is, is uh, suspended for PEDs. And now Kluber gets hurt. And, you know, in a short season like this, he's a veteran guy. Uh, that's, that's a bad injury. I mean, you know, that's going to cost him a big chunk of the season if he comes back at all. You know, I feel bad for Corey. I like him. Uh, he, you know, he pitched. He pitched so well in Cleveland, and uh, it's 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 tough to see that. And you know, I think there's you know we picked up kind of a you know a thread here, Joe, with the veteran, all the veteran pitchers that have been hurt here. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Verlander announcing, or the the Astros announcing on Sunday, Justin Verlander, uh, you know, possibly could miss the rest of the season with a forearm strain. Uh, that's the kind of injury that that could lead to elbow surgery somewhere down the road. But uh, Verlander coming out on Twitter saying, you know, reports of his demise are at this point exaggerated. So I think uh, we'll, we'll know soon enough where he stands. But uh, gosh, in, in just a 60-game season, a guy like Verlander coming off of a, a Cy Young season, you know, why would he push it? I, I and, and uh, why would Corey Kluber push it to come back if, yeah. if that's the case? I you, you gotta wonder. And you got Kershaw with the Dodgers, right, with a back or something. Back injury and, as well, yeah. And, and Strasburg had the the nerves thing with his hand. Uh, so, you know, those, those are big, big-name pitchers, critical pitchers for their teams. Well, and it puts into perspective just how impressive it was that Shane Bieber came into camp looking the way he did and, and you know, looking like he's ready to go out there and, and take on, uh, you know, every five days pitching right from the start and uh, ramped up the way he was. Uh, it just made what his preparation was all the, all the more impressive. Yeah. And it's uh, and it goes to show you that pitching is a young man's game. That this, <laughs> that this baseball is a young man's game. I mean, especially, you know, in, in unusual times like this where you've gone through spring training twice uh, sometimes veteran guys are, their bodies are used to doing it one way and, when you try to push it into a, a, a new uh, at a new level, something happens. Well, one veteran pitcher who uh, sort of pushed himself and and actually on was it Sunday uh, or Saturday on Saturday made his first appearance of the season, marking his 18th year in the big leagues was Oliver Perez. Uh, Perez came into the game and uh, it marked his. 18th big league season, the most by any Mexican-born pitcher. And it was a, a moment that, you know, really uh, he was anticipating, had looked forward to, and took very seriously. Uh, he said afterwards he spoke to his wife and he was in tears. And, and now he surpasses Fernando Valenzuela for the, uh, the most seasons pitched by a major league pitcher born in, in Mexico. Yeah, Oliver Perez, what a, what a good guy. and. Uh... What a, what a, it's just such a blast to watch him pitch. I just, I just get a kick out of it. He's 38 years old. He's, he's, he throws everything but the kitchen sink at hitters. He's got all the, mo- the motions, the, the hesitation pitch, the quick pitch, uh, you know, the turn your back, Louis Tion delivery. It's, it's so much fun. To, and if you see, you know, veteran hitters, they know what's coming. I think they, they handle him a little better. But if he gets a young lineup or he gets, a couple of young hitters in a row, 
they've got no chance. I mean, they have no chance. And, and he, uh, Terry Francona said he's reinvented himself uh, over and over again. Uh, let's hear from Oliver Perez right now, and then we'll get back and we'll wrap it up uh, just taking a couple more comments about Oliver Perez and his career. Here's what Oliver Perez had to say about uh, pitching 18 seasons in the big leagues uh, as, a, as a native of Mexico. Yeah, I think I have, a, I have a probably that question from, from last year when I tied, when I tied uh, to, to my, three, my three Mexican players. And, and well, every time getting closer to, to this season, that was kind of excited. But, you know, we, we came from all this uh, COVID and all this kind of stuff happening right now. And, and when, when, this, when they canceled the, the season it's been training, I was feeling like, like, you know, like, not great because, you know, I was really close to, to make it because I think the season was like 10 days away from, from the start. But at the same time, at the same time you know, it was, I was feeling way too far to get, get it to the season. But yesterday was kind of a lot of butterflies even in the opening day because I, I, I used to have a lot of message, a lot of comments, a lot, everything like, Really well for everybody from around the world, and and I'm I was, you know that's really special times. Saying I, I, that's why I'm enjoying. <laughs> There's none. I think you ask that question to like all all player like been playing for this long. There's no way. I think this year going quick. The time go fast. The time go fast. That's why you got to enjoy it. And just thinking about, just thinking about, and learn. The more you, the more you can, the, the more you learn, the, the more you ask. That's the very person you want to be. I think that's that we learned from from the past years, and I've been playing with a, a really good players, Hall of Famer. I started with Trevor Hoffman. I remember when I was when I came with San Diego, he invited me to just work out with him. So I think that's really special. Every time I saw him, and and I I told him, you know what? You remember when you was telling me, you know, you just have to keep keep doing whatever you do, keep working because one day you're gonna be like. Uh, you can you can be a, like a, a, like a Rosma, a role model, I say role model to a young player. So that was that was my goal, and I think I'm I'm I'm, I'm going that way. I want to continue continuing continuing doing that because that's too important for young players. Did you ever think about quitting or retiring? I mean, you had some big injuries, or even like a few years ago when you were bouncing around from team to team. Was it ever in your mind, or did you always want to? Keep stick with it and, and keep. Yeah, going. I think yeah, there's a, I think there's a couple of times. Normally, the, I think my 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 biggest one was when I was with the Mets. When I, I got released, I think I, normally as a player, you you looking for it. First of all, make to get to the big leagues and then go to arbitration. And I think the biggest thing for every player or every athlete is get a contract. I think I, I get to that point and I was really excited. But the same year, I think I, I started getting hurt. In those two years, I was not available to be on, on my level. I, I had to be. And I, I think I was really young, and I was trying to probably pitch when I was like 60%. And I think that, that, that's those things I was, I'm learning. I learned those times. And, and after, after I got released, I think I, I told my wife, you know what, I just want to retire because, you know, this you know, I mean, really hard those three years. But, I remember she, um, she and, and my parents told me like, you're still only 29. 
it's only 29 and you still you still can put peace out uh, maybe a couple more years and i thinking about it at night and, and you know you start thinking about you know still, still 29 and, and i understand the last three years that was that was because i was no good i was hurt i think that was that was my, my i was thinking about and at the same time i started getting workout workout and and i got my confidence back my velocity back and here i am all right paul oliver perez uh, probably among the top three pitchers among Mexican-born pitchers in every statistical category you can think of. Uh, like, like Terry Francona said, reinvented himself as a starter, a reliever, and all that. Uh, the one category that he does lead all time, not strikeouts, not walks, not anything, he leads in hit by pitches. <laughs> he's, he's hit more, he has hit more batters, 84, uh, in his 18 years than any other pitcher born in Mexico. So. Uh, when we pointed that out to him, uh, he thought it was kind of funny. So, uh, not something you try to do, but obviously Oliver Perez, uh, been at it a long time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, good guy. Um, and I like what you said, Joe. I mean, he is, he, he, I think, uh, he was talking about, you know, he kind of had some down, a couple down years or down year with the Mets. I uh, was going to quit when he was, uh, 29. Uh, talked to his wife and his parents, and they said, you know, come, try to come back. Uh, try to keep pitching. You're still a young man, and here he is uh, almost 10 years later, and he's still getting people out. Uh, he, made, he made some adjustments. He got stronger. He healed up his injuries, and, uh, you know, he just showed – I think that's a, a great story. And, uh, you know, he's, he's pitched uh, – he's, he's, he's a left-on-left -left guy. He started – He's, he's, I think he's closed. Uh, so he's, he's done a lot of stuff in his career and uh, he's still going strong. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a great story. Well, we'll get to hopefully see Oliver Perez uh, in the doubleheader uh, later on today. And we'll, uh, we'll see how he does. And uh, as he moves forward, uh, who knows what lies beyond this season for him uh, in the big leagues, but, uh, definitely fun to watch. Uh, one of our favorite guys to talk to. All right, Hoinsie, that's going to wrap it up here for today's podcast. We'll uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again after this doubleheader and get your sense of uh, you know what the Indians are able to do against this White Sox team. Moving forward in 2020. All right, Joe. Good talking.